Yesterday we were focusing on learning to, first of all, feel the breath and be with the breath and be with it as it is and notice the different qualities of the breath. So, so of course, part of that whole, the whole experience of turning the mind toward the breath and, and uh, investigating it and becoming familiar with it and feeling it and, and, and learning all those different uh, sensations that are associated with the breath. And part of that whole experience was all the distractions that draw us away from you know, focusing our attention and collecting our attention and concentrating the mind, uh, calming the mind. So, um, so really the, the important, the essence of what we were doing yesterday was working to develop a stability of attention, steadiness of mind uh, in the present moment. <clears throat> and this is a really um, important foundation for spiritual practice. Um, it's, it's a kind of, I, I think of it as a kind of a birth. It's a, a sense of a birth of you know, what is called, uh, sometimes referred to as witnessing, the, wit the capacity to witness. Uh, you might have heard that, that word used, the, the witnessing um, mind. So the witnessing mind, as I said in the Dharma talk, is, it's non-judgmental, it's, it's, it's open, it's accepting, it's not trying to fix, it's not trying to um, change, uh, doesn't push away or resist, um, doesn't grasp. This witnessing mind uh, forms the foundation for all spiritual development. Um, it's a kind of a, it's a kind of a birth um, and uh, spiritual birth and um, <clears throat> and before we develop that capacity and it's not something that you know it's kind of you know black and white or you know either or it's 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 something that develops over time uh, that you know we we have moments of presence and clarity and steadiness and then um, and then we get caught and lost and you know habit mind takes over and and so but but when we when we have the steadiness then we begin to recognize what's happening when we're being pushed and pulled by all our you know, grasping and aversion and uh, anxiety and uh, confusion. So, so more and more this st stability of awareness and 
development of mindfulness um, permeates and uh, carries through, even if it's not, even if it's not, um, you know, fully there all the time. Um, <clears throat> and it helps us as we are developing. It helps us to, to, to be discerning. It helps us in our, you know, in our practice, in our choices, and the choices that we make moment by moment in our daily lives. You know, on retreat, we're making choices, but there's a much more limited range of choices that we make. Um, but in our daily lives, we're making choices moment by moment. And this, this presence of awareness um, gives us the stability to make skillful choices. Um, in, our, in our practice, uh, in, in the traditional teaching of Buddhism, uh, there's teaching on four right efforts. Um, and uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu has a very beautiful way of, of framing these four right efforts. Um, Buddha Dasa talks about practicing Dharma as, as developing life. You know, he says, we're nature, you know, we are nature. And, and practicing Dharma is uh, developing life in a way uh, beyond what it, how it normally develops. So he says, first of all, the first right effort, um, which the traditional framing is abandon what is harmful, he says, to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we, uh, we practice hygiene, we, keep our, we try to keep our health good, we, um, we try to eradicate diseases, in, you know, not only in beings, but also in, uh, you know, gardens and farming crops and, and so on. So uh, we try to prevent people from doing harm to others, uh, to other people, other beings. So that makes a lot of sense, to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life. And, and so as we have this steadiness of attention, we are aware when a, an, an intention or an impulse or a um, uh, some kind of energy is arising to do something which is harmful to ourselves or to others. So having that attention really helps us to prevent f things from arising even before they you know fully bloomed, fully uh, grown into something that actually can cause harm. And the second of the, um, sorry, I made a mistake when I said that the traditional um, uh, framing is to abandon what is, what is harmful. It, actually, the first, 
The first is to prevent from arising what is harmful. So, um, and then the second is uh, to abandon the traditional one. And this is um, Buddha Dasa's is to eradicate, heal, and transform that which has already risen that is harmful to life. Eradicate, heal, and transform. So that's that's interesting. That, um, you know, sometimes we can transform um, energies uh, that that are present within us into uh, that may that we may be using in a way that's harmful, but we can transform it into what's beneficial, or we can learn from it, heal and transform. Um, to bring in, the third is, um, the traditional one is to cultivate what is good. Uh, so Buddha Dasa says, to bring into being that which is beneficial, useful and beneficial for life. To bring into being that which is useful and beneficial for life. So it's cultivating <coughs> positive, beneficial qualities within ourselves, such as kindness, generosity, morality, wisdom, compassion. So we're, we've been talking about that. Um, going to talk more today about generosity. And to maintain and preserve beneficial elements so that they grow further. So, uh, and, and the traditional phrasing of that is to, um, to uh, it's similar, to, <coughs> to cultivate the good, um, to bring into being the good is the third, and to cultivate, to cultivate it. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I like these framings of the four efforts because in the traditional one, you get, it, it doesn't, although it's implied, it may be implied, um, and may, perhaps, who knows, things are often lost in translation, right? But um, you, don't, oh, you get, don't get such a strong sense that these are efforts which are, which are uh, not only for ourselves, but for the world. And in, in Buddha Dasa's framing, I really hear it, you know, he's, it, he's talking about life. He's talking, he's bringing into, he gives a sense of our interconnection with all of life. So, so we're, we're, we're doing this within ourselves, it starts with ourselves, but it doesn't uh, end there. It's for the benefit of others, and it and it gives us uh, the capacity to reach out and engage in the world, to uh, to heal, transform what is harmful, to to bring into being that which is beneficial, and maintain and preserve it. <coughs> So, um, so I had mentioned that uh, these 16 tetrads of the Anapanasati Sutta, they, they 
are taught, they're, they're spoken, written, as a progression. That you do, you, you begin to just pay attention to the breath, just <laughs> accept and be with the breath as it is, um, and, and then, you know, that in itself um, is calming, and it, um, it brings us into the body, and then we become more present in the body, we feel the whole body, and, and, and that brings more calming and, of the body, and that, that opens to joy, and so on. So we went through this yesterday. And, um, you know, when uh, one of the th different teachers have m made very uh, interesting commentary, and I think I might have mentioned that the Anapanasati Sutta itself is pretty bare bones. So it doesn't, it says, you know, this is, you know, one trains oneself, breathing in, um, I cultivate uh, calmness, breathing out, uh, breathing in, I, I calm the body, <coughs> breathing out, I calm the body. Um, but it doesn't say exactly how to do that. So different teachers have written different commentaries on it. And, um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has a very beautiful commentary um, and some of the wording is different because I think he works with the Chinese translation uh, but um, one of his emphasis is that we don't necessarily go through these um, step by step in a progression. We might in our practice have kind of developed in certain areas, um, which maybe it's number uh, 11 or 12, but maybe we haven't focused on number eight or nine. Um, so, so that's okay. Uh, you know, that just happens um, naturally in practice that things open up and, uh, and, then, and then reading the discourse may help us to see where uh, we haven't actually realized certain kinds of things in our practice, so so that's that's helpful. Um, Buddha Dasa gives a <coughs> suggestion of how to work with the discourse if if we don't have the the time and the opportunity to to work very slowly, step by step, through each one. He says, "Well, develop the first uh, four the first tetrad in particular, and uh, the first, sorry, the first uh, foundation um, of the body, which is what we worked on yesterday. Um, and, and then move to the fourth tetrad, uh, in which we're looking at um, using the breath as an anchor, looking at how things are arising and falling in each moment. And, um, and so in, in my um, instructions and in uh, the guidance today, I'm going to kind of shift that and move more in that direction, which is, which is uh, kind of following how Vipassana 
is generally taught that that there's this um, establishing a stability of attention and then looking to notice the impermanent nature of experience. Um, in the in practicing <coughs> with the Anapanasati, we're we're not leaving behind the breath, although the breath may drop away for uh, some moments as we're fully engaging with um, uh, becoming aware of feelings or mental states or uh, or thoughts um, or kind of patterns, react reactive patterns. Um, <coughs> we the breath remains a, a, a continuity through the practice. So that's that's what I invite you to to uh, explore <coughs> today. Um, so uh, so as we, as we move into deep awareness in the body, so this, this mindfulness of the body, um, and we were exploring yesterday, you know, that sometimes we find places that are tight, and as we, we feel places that are tense. And, and we may feel places in the body they feel quite blocked. Um, you know, one of the things that I discovered uh, early on in practice was that, you know, I, I felt uh, my throat was just very, very tight. That there was a tightness in my throat, and um, and just in a in a uh, exploratory way, I began to just uh, open there, rest my attention there, bring the breath there, and, um, and gradually, gently, it began to open up. And uh, another, another discovery I made early on in practice was that um, as I exhaled, on my exhalation, about two-thirds of the way through my exhalation, um, there was this contraction that would happen you know, from my chest, that, um, so it was kind of like I was trying to control the exhalation as, rather than just relax into it. And, um, and, and, and just becoming mindful of that, actually, it was really interesting. I was, I was on retreat, and so the, you know, the attention and the energy was present, and without even trying um, I began to notice that at that point in my breathing, uh, a little more energy came to, to just relax, to just open, to not contract. And um, a little more mindfulness came. And, uh, and so it just shifted. And, um, and, and I was amazed at how many different things were connected to that continual contraction that I was feeling with each outbreath, I began to feel that other places in my body began to open up and relax and, and um, uh, just feel more uh, free and um, that we hold, we hold certain uh, states 
in the body. So body-mind are, uh, the, the, the saying is body-mind are not two. So they're not the same thing, they're not identical. Um, there can, we can distinguish, they're different aspects of life, but they're, neither are they two. We have a very dualistic approach to understanding body and mind uh, in the West um, <coughs> in general. Um, kind of like, you know, the ghost in the machine. But, um, but they're not, body and mind are not two. Um, and, uh, and as we bring the bre breath deeply into the body, we, <coughs> we get a sense of this body, mind, and breath, you know, just being a unity, coming together and, and uh, forming a unity. Um, so, um, so we're working, we're working with forces of nature, our own bodies and minds. And, um, and, and when we think of it that way, when we think that this, this drama, this, this wound, this story that I'm holding in my mind is, is part of how this body-mind formed. You know, sometimes you look at a tree and and you see that there's a branch that comes out, and then there's a kind of a kink in it, like, like it was growing around something. You ever notice that? Like there must have been at some point a tree in its way, and it kind of grew around it and formed a kind of a kink and then continued straight up. But then that which was an obstacle disappeared but it still it still holds that shape that that it uh, it formed and it's you know our bodies and minds are also you know formed by our experiences by our uh, by by the different um, ways that we've been treated what's been reflected back to us um, about who we are. And, and so we, we um, encounter these different kinds of formations as we move deeply with mindfulness into the body and mind. And we're observing uh, how the body is holding itself, how the body is holding the breath, the, what's coming up in the mind and uh, how we're responding to the different uh, impulses, uh, different stimuli, stimuli and, 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 and experiences and conditions that, that we encounter in our lives. So um, we tend to identify and say, you know, I'm such a... Uh, an angry person, or I'm such a fearful person. You know, we, we make these things static. 
as an identity, as, the, as if it's something uh, stuck and stable and it's who we are. Uh, the truth is that um, as Buddhadasa described in those uh, four, uh, four efforts of Dharma development, that, that we're very dynamic. We can, we can eradicate, heal, and transform different energies, and we can call forth and, uh, and cultivate and, and bring into fullness you know, other energies, and, uh, which are more skillful and, and, um, and beneficial for ourselves and others. And, you know, when we think of it like that, um, uh, it's, it's that we're working with forces of nature, you know, it's not, it's not me and mine, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of, for me anyway, it, it sort of shifts the perspective, um, you know, and it, and instead of, you know, suffering, like, oh, jealousy is coming up. You know, like it's so painful. Um, I mean, well, first of all, before we're mindful of jealousy, we're caught in it, right? Like, ah, oh, that's not fair. That person got that, and it should have been me. And you know, so jealousy emerges, and then we're ashamed of the jealousy because jealousy is 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 you know something that's considered bad, and um, and so. So, so instead of the suffering, all the suffering of the jealousy itself and then the blaming ourselves for jealousy, you know, we can engage with it and just open to it and, and work with it um, in the sense of just feeling its energy and learn from it, recognize, wow, jealousy's painful. <laughs> wow, jealousy really pushes me to do things that then I regret, you know, and makes my life even more complicated and hurts other people. So we can really learn from it, engage with it, see it, see how jealousy manifests not only in ourselves, but in others. And uh, a an analogy that, um, that, that Gil Fronsdale gives is a, a sailor. Um, you know, like a sailor, you, you work with the conditions. You work with the waves and the wind and the currents. You know, my, my son is a sailor. And, uh, and so, you know, he, like this whole world of tides, you know, which I had never given more than one or two thoughts to. You know, like that's part of his life. He has to know when are the tides, you know, high and when are the tides low and, and where are the different currents. Uh, and. Um, and he has to know the weather and, you know, what are the advisories? What's the wind? And you work with these forces. And when you're caught in, you know, high winds or strong currents, you don't hate the currents. You don't blame the wind. You just, you know, you cut your sails or you put your sails, you adjust your sails, you, you, you tack the boat, you know, how it, whatever it is that you have to do to work with it. And the engaging with it can even be joyful. It can even be, it's, 
it's like you give it everything. You know, you're there, you're on, the whole crew is on, and, and until you're through that system, you, uh, you're, you give it your full attention. And, and working with our inner experiences can be like that. It, even if it's painful, even if when jealousy arises, when anger arises, when confusion arises, when we recognize them, when we can have that stability and breathe and be with them, you know, it can be painful, it can be unpleasant. It's not that we want these experiences, but it doesn't have to be uh, something that we're suffering, that we're, you know, that we feel done in by, that we feel overwhelmed by. And so, so how do we do that? So we recognize when something's arising. Um, so jealousy is something that I worked with for a long time. Um, and, you know, it, it really doesn't arise in its full-blown uh, kind of like a hurricane, tornado, uh, as it used to. Um, you know, I had, there was a story, of, you know, that I held to in my life about how I didn't have these opportunities and, and, uh, and I made bad choices and, and so all kinds of blame of others and self-blame mixed into a really poisonous stew. And, uh, and so then it, at a certain point with mindfulness, I began to recognize the arising of it. And, 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 and learning to recognize it, you know, was so key, and accepting it, opening to it. Uh, okay, so this, this, is, this is jealousy, this is envy. Um, and, um, and then, just allowing it to move through the system, like having that stability, having that ballast, you know, to use the boat analogy, or that, you know, rudder of mindfulness. Um, I could, I could uh, weather it, I could weather it, and, and, and then, as and I and I began to recognize like okay this this comes from causes and conditions it's not who I am it's not intrinsically myself it's it's something that developed it's a formation that developed out of causes and conditions and so so um, you know gradually Whenever I would recognize it, I would open to it, I would uh, allow it, I would see its impermanent nature, allow it to pass through. So that's, that's really key, to see its impermanent nature, that it arises and passes away, that it's not 
it's not a defining factor. And, um, and, and so seeing it at earlier and earlier stages, so, so more and more subtle, oh, there's a little bubbling up. Oh, okay, it's gone. You know, so it, it becomes more and more subtle until these, what we don't, what we don't cultivate by, you know, as <coughs> as we as we uh, eradicate, heal, and transform that which has already arisen, then it, you know, it, it disappears on its own. So, um, so this is, so knowing that these, that these. Um, arisings come from causes and conditions they're not intrinsically ourself and that they're impermanent gives us the key to uh, working with them for uh, for the alleviation of suffering for the alleviation of suffering and the the uh, cessation of suffering <coughs> Does anybody have any question about that? Anything that feels unclear or, or uh, that, yeah, you'd like to follow up with a question? Do you have a sense of how you might work with it in your meditation practice? Okay, so the so the question is, yeah, I am. Okay, so the question is, can I give an example of the arising to the passing away and the eradication? So, so that's what I was trying to do with jealousy. Okay, so so the four right efforts. Yeah. So, so, so first of all, recognizing and seeing. Uh, I mean, in a way, I began with the second right effort. And I think that we often do begin with the second right effort because there's a lot of stuff we're working with that's already arisen in us, right? Uh, so we're seeing the envy, we're seeing the anger, we're seeing the grasping, we're seeing you know, all of the uh, deluded beliefs that we hold on to. And so, and then we recognizing that they cause us suffering. <coughs> and so, but the first right effort is kind of, uh, it's having that ground of cultivating, you know, morality, like don't harm people, don't, you know, don't, don't get caught up in an addiction, maybe, I think, you know, so, okay, uh, Maybe opioids are not such a good idea, you know, like you he he hear about uh, all of the addiction that's happening. So maybe, you know, maybe uh, I'll stay away from that or stay away from, you know, gambling, uh, you know. So, so that's not to prevent from arising that which is harmful to life. So 
So it's kind of having knowledge for knowledge of that which is harmful and avoiding it. But mostly we're starting with the second one, which is, okay, there's lots that's harmful to our lives that's already been, you know, growing in us. And so how can we eradicate, heal, and transform that? And so, yeah, so recognizing these things and see, you know, and, but, but also to go back to the first right effort, um, you know, having an understanding that, I hope I'm saying this clearly, tell me if I'm not, um, <coughs> that really we're being born in each moment. You know, each moment is a new moment and we're emerging in each moment. So, so that first right effort like when we have the capacity for attention to prevent from arising in this moment this, you know, reaction of jealousy or wanting. So that first right effort is, you know, just uh, seeing, okay, I, I'm seeing that somebody is doing something that I really wish I could do. And, and so then being mindful, I'm aware of the, the tendency perhaps for jealousy to arise and I'm, uh, and I'm not, it's, so the mindfulness keeps it from arising. This, so that's, that's the first right effort. So it's, it's emerging from moment to moment. Um, when we recognize that there's a possibility that grasping can arise or jealousy or anger can arise in a particular moment. Um, and, and then when it has arisen to, to work with it in such a way that it, it, uh, it transforms itself, it heals itself, it, it liberates itself. Um, that's how I understand eradication because we don't we don't like reject it we don't reject jealousy we don't reject anger I mean these are they are natural they're human I mean we see you know my dog gets jealous you know <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, you know it it's, it's not that it's evil, so we don't need to feel shame. Um, but but, um, but we, we, uh, we have the capacity to recognize that it's not skillful and can be harmful. Um, yeah. And then to bring into being that which is useful and beneficial for life. So, so to take jealousy you know, the, the antidote that's taught for jealousy is, is to take joy in the good fortune of others. You know, so when I see somebody who's having some good fortune, you know, some success in their life, uh, some flowering or blooming in their life, you know, I can say, wow, that's wonderful. I'm happy for them. 
and we can bring our heart to it and mean it um, and and empathize with them and, and say, you know, they must be really feeling, you know, a kind of a, a joy and a celebration in this moment. So we can call that forth. So that's a way to bring into being that which is useful and beneficial and we can maintain and preserve those bene beneficial elements uh, so that they develop even further. So, uh, so, you know, we can cultivate the joy for the happiness of others. You know, look around, you know, see, see a, a parent with, you know, their baby and, and the bond that's forming, you know, really beautiful bond and say, instead of saying, you know, wow, I didn't have a very good childhood, you know, aren't they lucky? <laughs> uh, just take joy in it. Like, wow, it's beautiful, you know. Like that person, that little being knows that they're being seen and received and, and, uh, and, and that little being is, you know, being loved to be able to be also a source of love in the world. And we can rejoice in that. So, um, so just cultivating the, the goodness that we, you know, rejoy in the goodness we see around us. Yeah. Is that the third and fourth? Yeah. Effort? Yeah. Okay. Third and fourth. My question is just about <coughs> the healing aspect, how, how that kind of works. <coughs> I think part of healing is, uh, is simply accepting. You know, accepting um, that this you know, this was, uh, you know, part of our experience. Um, uh, I think maybe part of healing also can be recognizing that, um, that from the, the deep suffering that might have occurred that also deep compassion can grow and other gifts that help us to be open and present um, in the pain of the world you know so one of my deepest learnings has been um, the death of my son um, my older son died uh, ten years ago and um, and I felt as I, you know, I felt when that happened that um, I, just, I just was on a grief retreat. Um, it, it was just giving space for that grief to be felt and to be honored and known and not to hold on to it, not, but to just let it move through me and to, to see it whenever it came up, and and um, <clears throat> and also see when it was not there. Like I began to see, oh, here's a moment when I don't feel grief, 
Here's a moment when I feel a little space, a little openness, maybe a little peace, uh, a little acceptance. And so, um, but that opening to that grief and knowing that I have survived that and I have lived through that and I have accepted it and not getting caught in stories of blame and, um, and anger but just receiving it as part of life and, 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 and then as I went along I began to see wow so many mothers and fathers have lost their children like so many <coughs> you know it happens so much in wars in childbirth in childhood illnesses like how many you know countless parents have lost their children and we have this idea that it should never happen but it does I mean, and it's happening right now. You know, the children are being killed. Uh, children are dying from illness that could be cured. That, um, you know, if they only had the medicine. So, uh, so it just has enabled me to stand in the fire of maybe, maybe there, I'm sure there are greater griefs than I experienced. But it, it's, I think that's part of healing also, to know how we've been gifted and what we've learned and how we've grown and been strengthened by what we've experienced. So let's, um, let's just sit for a minute uh, before we go on to uh, our walking meditation. <coughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.